all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fossone. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at LegalHelpForVeterans.com. We've got a great program for you today. Uh, it's Mother's Day. We're in the shadow of Mother's Day. Maybe you're listening to this. So if you haven't, call mom and uh, at least stop and get her a card or some chocolates or flowers, the traditional stuff. And that's uh, whether it's the mom uh, who birthed you or the woman who helped you grow in life and and you view as a mother figure maybe it's your wife mother of your kids so we're uh, reminding you it's mother's day and get out there and uh, make sure that uh, you honor your mother and mother figures uh, appropriately one of the things we thought we would do here on veterans radio then is talk to a couple of women who are in uh, active duty but who are moms? What's uh, special about that? What's the challenges? Uh, what do you see as the positives, maybe the negatives, of being in the service of the country and trying to fulfill your role as mothers, which is, uh, you know, most important uh, of all the roles that you might have in 2021. Women made up 17% of the active duty force. Now, they're about 21% of the National Guard and Reserves, so you see a little more of them in the National Guard and Reserves. But, uh, you know, that's a big percentage of women who have served or are serving. I think the statistic is, oh, we'll look at it, uh, but like 19% of veterans are women, something like that. We'll take a look at it. But moms are still a rarity in the military, because juggling active duty service, rotations, and all that, obviously a challenge. But we're going to talk to a Army Staff Sergeant and a Lieutenant Colonel in the, the Air Force Reserves to get their views on what it's like to be a mother in the U.S. military. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today Staff Sergeant Katrina Farley. 
United States Army, and we're going to talk about her career, but she's also a military mom, and we're going to talk about her three kids and what it's like to be a mom in uh, in today's Army. Katrina, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Now, Katrina and I go back a long way. Uh, I know her parents well, uh, but we're going to start with how did a nice girl like you end up in the United States Army? Well, it's really a family legacy. Um, Both my parents have served. They were both Air Force, and I have my oldest brother was Air Force during Desert Storm. And my second older brother was a Marine for 10 years. So it's it's just family tradition and that want to serve. Well, that that it is a public service issue. It's something that kind of gets into your DNA. And you started out in the Tennessee National Guard uh, in 2004 and moved over to active duty, I think, in 2008. Heck, you can see retirement coming in about 2006. So uh, when you started out, did you think you'd make a career out of it? I did. That's all I've ever really wanted to do is be career military. Um, Watching dad in the last few years of his career um, really impacted that decision. And seeing what his retirement was like with the benefits and being able to choose what he wanted to do after his military career um, really impacted that, that decision to say, yes, I'm going to be career military. And along the way, you picked up your bachelor's uh, degree from Florida State University, which is, again, one of those things that uh, military folk get to do, don't they? They do. And um, at the end of the course that I'm in right now, I'll actually have my associates in intelligence operations from um, Cochise Community College because all of my military education goes into that and has actually produced a degree for me. No, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> we were joking before we started recording because Katrina couldn't uh, get on air with me until she got her cup of coffee here late in the day. And I said, oh, my God, you're taking, you know, leaded coffee again at this hour? Uh, she reminded me she has many hours of uh, work ahead of her and studying as well. So we do appreciate <laughs> the extra time you're giving to us. And, and along the way, yeah, along the way, you've had duty stations, as I said, in Tennessee, in Colorado, in, in Kentucky, um, in Indiana, uh, in Hawaii, a couple of side trips, uh, get a chance to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. You've kind of seen it all, haven't you? I think so. Um, it, it's been a pretty um, a wide variety in my career of places I've been able to go and things I've been able to do. Um, I will say that Hawaii was my favorite duty station. Oh, that that, that yeah. doesn't even go with that. You don't have to say that. Everybody who's ever been in the military is going, how did you get the Hawaii assignment? <laughs> right? But And that was where I went to um, to Afghanistan from was when I was in, in Hawaii, and I got to work with um, the PACOM Intelligence Operations Center, and it was a really cool experience. Just they have everything kind of encapsulated out there. And it it made for a very very interesting tour. Tell, so tell us a little bit about what your uh, um, MOS is and, and the job duties that you've done over this uh, eighteen plus career, eighteen year plus career. Well, I am an intelligence analyst um, with AllSource, so all of the intelligence gathering comes to our desk, and we provide the analysis and interpretation of the reports that come in. Um, I spend a lot of time in a basement with no windows, 
that's just where a lot of the intel work gets done hopefully uh, not in hawaii hopefully the basement you know at least you had windows in hawaii no we we draw pictures and put up stickers of windows to pretend that we can see the outside world but now even in hawaii we were in the basement um but we we do a lot of analysis we do a lot of briefings and just trying to make sure that whatever information we have, it doesn't become intelligence until it's disseminated. So if you're holding on to information, it's not getting where it needs to be to help affect the um, and influence any of the conflicts that we're in. And, and uh, currently you're doing some, uh, tell us about your current uh, duty assignment and some of the work that you're doing. Uh, right now I actually work, it's called an ACRC position. It's uh, active component, reserve component. So I work with First Army and we help mobilize and train the reserve and National Guard units that are getting ready to activate for some reason, uh, depending on whether they're going to do training or deploy somewhere. Um we help make sure that everything is going to plan and we work with them to get them out the door and successfully complete their mission. So I've mentioned a couple of times you're 18 years into this because now we're going to turn to that aspect of it being a military mom. You have children who are 12, 7, and 5. Um, Give everybody a little snapshot of these uh, little rascals. Oh, well, one was born just before we went to Hawaii. So the first almost five years of her life, Hawaii is all she ever knew. Uh, we had one born in Hawaii, and then we had one born in Tennessee. Um, they have they've been able to travel. They've been able to go to some of the best schools. The uh, military schools on installation are phenomenal. They push the kids. Um, One thing that stands out to me, especially living in the civilian world a little bit more now at this current duty station, that healthcare availability for the kids is just incredible compared to some of what we are seeing. I used to complain when mom and dad would take us to the doctor for every little thing as a kid. (laughs) I was like, oh, I don't need to go to the doctor. But in a post-COVID environment, you can see the difference in in the healthcare availability and the healthcare plans and stuff like that that um, some families have versus the the benefits of the being in the military. Um, I, I don't have to worry about taking my kids to the doctor. I can be like, you know what? He sounds like he's got some pretty creepy cough and go see a doctor and get them to take care of it where that's not always possible for a lot of the kids in my kids class. Um, and that's one of the big things that I am incredibly grateful for, for the military between that and having the specialists available for my husband are just, it's, it's phenomenal. So I have to, I have to comment uh, because of the, your reaction to being dragged to the doctor by your mom and dad, her mother's a nurse, her, 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 <laughs> her father's an ophthalmology tech and both retired out of the Air Force. Um, so they had access to that uh, great medical care, both working in uh, a military hospital over in uh, Spokane, Washington. 
So uh, you, you've uh, turned into your mother, and you've done the same thing to your three kids, I take it. <laughs> um, I definitely won't say I've turned into my mother because my mother was an officer and I'm enlisted. So, you know, there's a little bit of difference there. But, um, but yeah, I do. I take the kids just to be sure, especially in a post-COVID environment. Yeah. I don't want to mess up and send the kids to school and make other kids sick. That is that is something that I absolutely it would tear me up to know that I sent my kids to school and hurt somebody else. Well, and there's really a bigger part of this, too, with military medicine in, in that they want to make sure when you're on duty doing your thing that you're doing in intelligence, you're not worried about uh, the kid who's home got the sniffles and you haven't been able to get them uh, over to be seen by a doctor. So they're, th- this is sort of all connected, isn't it? If if, if the military is oh. doing a good job with your kids on medicine, you're you're feeling a little bit better when you're at work. Oh, definitely. And, you know, the schools on post, they make their schedule coincide with the installation schedule. So when I have a day off, I don't have to sit there and twiddle my thumbs and be like, man, I wish the kids weren't in school today. They they make sure that they have the same days off that we do if they're not a regular weekend. So we could take trips and visit family since most of the time you don't have a local family. You know, we've been blessed that Nina and Papa or my parents um, are are with us all the time. So we can see them, but we still travel to visit other family members. One, one of the things you mentioned in passing, and I don't want to dwell on it, but you mentioned your husband has a uh, progressive illness. And again, mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of comfort coming from having specialists having the, the the Army military medicine here that, that can um, uh, attempt to deal with those sorts of things, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. And I will say that this last PCS move, this last change of station from going to from Fort Campbell to Camp Atterbury, um, his – his specialist is actually a civilian at um, Vanderbilt in Nashville. And it was taken into account that we really, really liked this doctor and that he had been the best doctor that my husband has had in 30 years. And he's able to maintain seeing that doctor at this duty station as well. One of, the, one of the challenges, and I'm going to move away from that because you and I talked about it earlier. And, mm-hmm. But one of the changes, uh, challenges I think you face as a military mom is, we, and we talked about briefly the deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. Talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about those challenges as a mom. Um, I think as a mom, one of the biggest things is that you – you know, and some of them have already been addressed and they are things that are being worked on in the military as a whole. But trying to progress your career with kids, with pregnancies, with, you know, breastfeeding and not being able to go to the field. Um, and I, I have had to put my career on hold since the boys were born. Because if I was pregnant or breastfeeding or anything, I I was not able to go to a military school. So the school that I went to last summer and the one that I'm in now, you know, I previously was not able to do that 
if I was pregnant. And the challenge there is it's as a woman and as a mom, you're, you're having to make that choice between having a family, having children and progressing your career. Whereas my male counterparts don't have to make that choice. And as I said, there are some changes that are on the way that are being made. You can go to schools pregnant now. You can be promoted without having that school if a pregnancy is the reason that you haven't had it. And the only thing that I don't think has really been addressed yet is when we do our annual evaluations. If you are on maternity leave, then that time doesn't count. So there are a lot of things that that affect your evaluation and being a mom, giving birth, being on maternity leave. Those can not be addressed on the evaluation. It can't say anywhere on there that this happened. It just looks like you haven't done anything for that amount of time. Yeah, um, and as as the number of women and, and uh, by correlation, the number of moms in the military increases, um, mm-hmm. these these are the sort of changes slow in coming but have to come to continue to draw women into what can be a really interesting, a really exciting. Uh, career for them, but you got to you got to work on it a little bit, and hopefully the army is doing that. Oh yeah, well, and I was part of a task force last summer that helped get the time the time changed that was given to us for getting back into shape for the physical fitness tests and back into your height and weight categories for um, your weight management. And there are a lot of a lot of ways that the Army specifically is working on it. It's just slow in coming. And if there weren't people out there that were willing to talk about the challenges, then nothing would ever change. No, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, the bigger the bureaucracy, the longer it takes to move through it and get, get changes. You do have sort of a funny story about, uh, uh, I think it was 2016 or maybe 17, where you were. 2016 60, when I was delivering our oldest son. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead and tell. Because some oh, of the accommodations are like... Okay, they made the, they made these accommodations, so it's you know it's not all hard edge. So go ahead and tell no, us that. No, it's not. So in 2016, I was part of a group that was helping train the chaplains corps in Hawaii, and there were a lot of like I did key leader engagements because the chaplain is part of the group that goes out to engage leaders. Um, in areas when we go to deploy. So in Iraq and Afghanistan, any leader engagement included a chaplain or a chaplain's assistant. And they don't get a whole lot of practice on that. So there was this training program that was put together, and I was leading the key leader engagement piece of it. And I did the training for it. I did their classes. And there was a capstone event that was happening in May. 
and I was pregnant with our oldest son. And you, you weren't just, a little bit pregnant. <laughs> no, I, I was extremely pregnant. You were nine months um, pregnant. I was nine months pregnant the day this was supposed to happen. And I, I told the division commander, I told my G2 that I wanted to do it. I had been working on it my entire pregnancy and before, and I wanted to finish what I had started. So they got authorization for me to be in a field environment because typically pregnant, they don't want you to do that. They gave me a government vehicle so I could get to a bathroom without having to try and use a porta potty at nine months pregnant, which I greatly appreciated. And there were going to be Blackhawks on station for Medivac. Uh, They were doing a training block on medical evacuations for the chaplains. So they got authorization for those Blackhawks to fly to Tripler if I happened to go into labor. <laughs> well, I went into labor have, a few hours too early for that. You have to be one of the few that. people who can say I had a Blackhawk helicopter standing by to get me to labor and delivery. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, I went into labor before the whole thing started. My <laughs> husband was telling the baby goodnight, and he's like, I need a Star Wars baby. Because May 4th was the next morning. And lo and behold, I went into labor. And instead of going to the field at 4 o'clock in the morning, I went to labor and delivery. Again, just that uh, there were folks in your uh, unit uh, all the way up to the commander who were going, okay, we, we can figure out how to make this work. We need a car. We need a helicopter. <laughs> oh, yeah, Definitely. Well, to be fair, though, the the helicopters were already going to be there. They were just saying, hey, you know what? You can have a ride if you need it. Well, you'll (laughs) you'll take it that way, right? Right. So uh, we've talked about some of the advantages of being a military mom as it relates to the kids relative to, you know, school and and, um, uh, medical uh, availability in in the military, you get to meet a lot of people from all over the country. How, how mm-hmm. do you see the, the, your three kids' development as a result in being in these different locations and meeting different people? Have, have you noticed uh, an impact from that? Um, with the older ones, yes. Um, Declan, the youngest, was born in what? 17. So he was still really little when COVID hit. And, you know, he has had his first year in school with pre-K this year. So um, I don't think being exposed to a lot of different people has really impacted him too much yet. But for my older two, absolutely. Um, my oldest went to a, an, a local pre-K when we were in Hawaii and she was the one of the only non-islander, like non-local kids in there. And she absolutely just flourished with them. She got to learn all kinds of different things about the island itself. She got to learn about the history of Hawaii and just kind of delved into the culture. Um, and then she has definitely learned how to say hello and goodbye to to friends and i think at an earlier age she has learned that 
the more open you are when you meet people, that the quicker you're going to make those friendships and the longer lasting they're going to be. So she has been the one that has moved most with us because the boys are still kind of young and she still maintains friendships from you know two of the other previous duty stations. Well, she's and in she she's in met. sixth grade now, and and yes. you know uh, your first son is in first grade, um, who's, who's about seven. These are mm-hmm. four. This this you know seven to thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. These are pretty formative years. Have have you seen kind of positive impacts as a result of being um, in this? You know, military family, which is really a family tradition of the uh, the woods and the Farleys here. So, um, talk to us a little bit about how that how they feel that that tradition. Um, I think they when I pull my daughter in with with her peers, I can see a little bit difference in the maturity levels. And the responsibility, um, I, I believe that she specifically pulls that down from from me and from the military service and from being being regimented in what we have to do and when we have to do it. Um, you know, work before play definitely is is very much felt in our house as it was in ours growing up. It's just. It's just the way military life is. You make sure that you get everything done that you need to get done before you go have fun and do the things that you want to do. Well, and as, um, as you mentioned, you know, she learned that friends come and go for reasons outside their control. But you have to be then open to making new friends, don't you? Yes. And that wasn't as much of a struggle at the last at our last duty station because she was going to a military school. It was the one that was on Fort Campbell and everybody there had somebody that was working on post. So you gained friends and lost friends as the, the cycles changed and everybody moved to their new duty stations and coming here and going to a civilian public school it was it was interesting for her and to watch that transition and see her adapt was just amazing because she walked into this school and Lincoln did too, um, walked into this school and all of these kids had lived here their entire lives. They'd been friends since they were three or four. They knew everybody. So they walked in as these new kids and within a week they had found their place. They had found their people. And it was really exciting to watch. And after being in virtual school since 2020, this was their first year back in public school, watching the changes in their confidence and their their social skills was exciting to see. And you don't realize, one thing that we talked about Um, earlier is that not everybody knows somebody in the military right and when you're at all these big duty stations these big installations where you've got 10,000 troops on one installation you lose sight of that 
and you get to a smaller duty station like I'm at now at Camp Atterbury and I stop at the store on the way home and I have people stopping me every five minutes to say thank you, which was very disorienting to begin with. And now I, I'm more used to it and I don't stumble in my response. Um, you know, I'm very grateful for the, for the support, but I just, it, it blew me away and it, it, it's something that you don't realize going into these schools. I do volunteer work at the school now and I do it on my way to work in the morning, a couple of days a week. And I go in uniform and the kids just have these big bug eyes at, Oh my word, there's a soldier in our school. And being able to bring that to them has, has really been special for me, but it, it touches my heart that they're, they're willing to talk about it and willing to ask questions. I get stopped in the hallway and they have all kinds of, all kinds of questions for me about what I've done and where I've been. And if I'm really in the army or if I just bought a uniform. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so. Well, you, you and your no, husband. I it's real. Yeah. You and your husband should be very proud of these three children. The, the way they've grown up, the opportunities that they've had and how they've integrated into this, uh, uh, public school. Um, uh, your, your daughter went to a, a dance recently. I got to see the photos. She's she was <laughs> stunning in her uh, in, in in her uh, dance uh, 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 paraphernalia. We joked about her shoes being uh, boy oh boy. You know, there's a, she was dressed <laughs> for a sixth grader. Um, yeah. But but you this gives you a chance to kind of look back and say you know what the decisions I made about staying in the army and having these rotations. Um, had a lot of positive impact on the kids. And I, I guess maybe my final question here, uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Katrina Farley, and maybe maybe you had this conversation with your mom. Uh, when, when your daughter or your sons come to you and say, hey, Mom, I'm thinking about uh, maybe joining up, what's the answer? What, what's Mom say? <laughs> mom says, let's make sure it's the Air Force. <laughs> That's the that's the message you didn't take twenty years ago. So uh, <laughs> yes, it's the message that I didn't listen to. So that gives you a little bit of idea of how military moms look at uh, being on active duty service, uh, rotating around the country, and having a family to go in tow. So we're going to hear from the lieutenant colonel next, uh, but before that, we want to thank a few of our sponsors. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative, maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. VeteransCrisisLine.net. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio, Lieutenant Colonel Michelle Rule. Michelle, welcome back to Veterans Radio. It's been a long time. 
Thank you. I was trying to remember the last time. I just don't remember which child phase I was in. <laughs> you in were, a couple years. You were a major. I don't remember exactly when. I'll have to look up what year it was. Um, but we have you on as part of our Mother's Day special here, and we're going to talk about uh, being a mother in the military. But let's uh, let's set this up a little bit. Uh, let's remind people that you graduated from the United States Air Force Academy in 2003. You have a master's in psychology, a master's in English re- uh, rhetoric, You've taught uh, English writing at the Air Force Academy. Um, you've done the Air War College thing. Uh, you did a couple of tours. I don't remember if it's just uh, two or three, but you've flown 193 combat missions and over 800 uh, combat hours. Um, your airframes include things like the T-34, the C-12, the C-130, E&H, MC-12W, t T-53 and DA-20. That's a lot of numbers and letters for for those who aren't in the Air Force. Tell us a little bit about the airframes that you've flown. Sure. Many years ago, I started in the C-130, but I didn't really spend a lot of time in that community because I I flip-flopped between I would fly airplanes for a tour, then go teach English for a tour, and I've done that several times. And then uh, on one particular tour in the MC-12, which is a King Air 350, and we take out all the nice seats and equipment on the inside and put in reconnaissance equipment. Uh, we were flying in Afghanistan, and that's actually where I met my husband. So I was lucky that our, our paths crossed. He's a Michigan boy as well, but it took us all the way in making it to Afghanistan to actually get together. Uh, so it's a smaller aircraft, only a crew of four. And then all those those ones you heard at the end were me back at the Air Force Academy when I was teaching English. They would also let you go down to the airfield and teach the cadets how to fly. So those were early trainers, kind of like driver's training in an airplane. <laughs> well, you've had a, a very interesting career. As I said, you went in and uh, graduated in 2003, so you're, you're at 20-year mark. Um, uh, you've also had an opportunity to do a couple of things that most don't in the world. Uh, you've served as a White House fellow, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit. You've also been a visiting senior fellow at the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies. Um, you're a Tillman Scholar, and you're currently working on your Ph.D. in English Writing and Rhetoric. So tell us a little bit about that aspect of being a White House fellow. Um, it's not, not what most uh, military officers get a chance to do. Well, I have to admit it it was not easy. I had to apply three different times and the first time I think was before the first child and it almost feels like um, God knew about the timing for us because it wasn't the time and then the second time was after my second kid and really the third time when I applied was a charm. (laughs) I made it in that year but wouldn't you know that was 2020. So it was a fascinating year. We packed up the family from Colorado Springs. My husband's an airline pilot, so he was able to switch from Denver to D.C. We moved out here during a pandemic. It was one administration under Trump, and I was a speechwriter for Secretary Chow at the Department of Transportation. And then the very next day in in January, it went to the other administration. So for the Biden administration, I was a speechwriter for Vice President Harris. But all of this was during COVID. So it was really fascinating to move being out west. It just had a different perspective moving into the heart of the city in D.C. But we worked the whole time. We were still in person. And this plays into my kids, really. Uh, My children still had to go somewhere. 
And thank goodness the military stayed open. So the military bases for mission essential personnel, which we were, kept the daycare open. So the Child Development Center at, um, down in D.C., there's one, the Joint Base uh, Bowling, and it's over the river in D.C. They stayed open the whole time, blessed those ladies, and they took care of my kids during the pandemic. And it's almost as if my kids didn't even notice it was going on at all. Well, I'm and sure they, they, they didn't, but mom, mom and dad certainly did. <laughs> it took, it took a while to get used to, you know, the, the kids stayed healthy. They were much more healthy than the adults. So, um, I ended up working full time. So I moved over to the White House, the executive office building. And that was also interesting because we were there for um, January 6th. We were there for the Afghanistan withdrawal. So it was like having a front seat in history. And I don't think I've processed it all yet. But to be honest, it was the first job in 19 years in the military where I was home every night for dinner with my kids. So while it was a, a, a stressful, unique year, it also was the closest our family has been. And, and currently you're in an interesting uh, job coming out of uh, being a White House fellow. Tell us a little bit about your uh, assignment to the joint staff. It was a follow-on assignment, but I honestly owe it all to, uh, at the time it was Vice Admiral Stu Munch, and he was a former White House fellow. And at a luncheon that we had while we were fellows, he gave out a comment. I'm not sure if he was serious or not, but he said, if anyone needs a follow-on assignment, let me know. I didn't really know what his particular job was or what it entailed, but he was the director of the Joint Staff J7, which does future war fighting and the future war fighting concept. So the, the way that we'll be fighting probably the next war and also training education doctor and things like that, but training the entire joint force. And so he was generous and was a mentor and said, I'll bring you over to my staff. He has now moved on and pinned on a fourth star, but it really taught me a lesson in turning around after the fellowship and helping the next generation find their their way. Well, it's a fascinating area, I'm sure, to work in in terms of thinking about the future and future of war fighting. There was recently a heard some congressmen talking about participating in war gaming as it related to Taiwan in China, um, and I, I got fascinated by that uh, particular podcast because I said, well, we're, we're, they're not just going to invade Taiwan. They're going to go take on Okinawa and Guam so that we're all tied up over there while we're they're going after Taiwan. And it's just You have to think about all those things, and the ordinary person like me just doesn't, so I'm glad there are people like you that are. Very interesting <laughs> concepts. Mm-hmm. And my, my kids play into that, being a mom – and thinking about the future has a very different perspective than had I been in this job seven years ago before my daughter, I might not study it in the same way. So it definitely feels very real to me now. So we do we do have you on to sort of give that, uh, you know, sense of what it's like to be a mom in the military. You have two children currently and you're attempting to adopt a third. So tell us about your two, two uh, children. <laughs> I would say they couldn't be more different. You you have to learn each child's love language. So my daughter is a spark. She is six going on 26, dresses herself, uh, learned how to swim at two, and it's just fascinating. And honestly, it's karma. She's all the things that I put my dad through. Yeah, I, I, I was, was going <laughs> to say the same thing. I go, okay, this is payback time. Oh, Yeah. Uh, he was out visiting recently, and he would just laugh sometimes and say, wow, it's a, it's your little clone. 
And and so I can't get mad when when she does something that's so independent and strong. And I think that is going to serve her well later. And on the opposite end, my sweet little son, he's the he's adorable. He'll look at you with big blue eyes and then smash something. We call it like the Hulk smash. We call it the Theo smash. His name's Theodore. He'll just take a milk jug and, and smash. And uh, man, the little boys and little girls, I don't care what society says. They are they are different. And he is a little destroyer of things. But then at the same time, he's cuddly and sweet. And I can't say no. So they are completely different. And um, you mentioned we are trying to adopt a third from Honduras. And we, we're not sure yet. We haven't had a placement, but they told us about a little girl who's three, which would be the same age as my son. So we'd have instant twins. So I'm not sure if that would make life easier or more difficult, but we're waiting to hear about that one. So one of the things that certainly happens in a long career like you've had um, is you get a lot of uh, movement or rotation between bases. As I mentioned, you've you've done the tours in, in Afghanistan. Um, at this point of your career, it's a little more settled. Um, you've been in D.C. now for a couple of years, and, and that's probably been great for the great for the family. But talk a little bit about um, some of the unique aspects of being a mother in the military with a six-year-old and a three-year-old to think about as you talk about uh, assignments and rotations and all of those things. It's funny you mention that. We just found out we're most likely moving back to Colorado, probably July timeframe. And I, I do have to be so grateful that my kids were later in my career. So they missed the first, let's say, five or six moves, whereas other friends of mine constantly had to move the whole family. So I have great respect for people who have to pack up a family of six and the dog and the cat and the fish and all of that. Um, but at least for us, I would say there's there's a couple of of pros and then there's some cons. So of course she's sad. She's going to have to leave her her friends and you'll probably hear that from any family that moves a lot. You'll say saying goodbye is heartbreaking every time there's tears, but at the same time just in 30 minutes ago, I just saw my friend uh from that I my roommate in Afghanistan. I haven't seen her in years. And she just came to D.C. and we went downtown to an art fair and the instant I saw her, it was as if the world stopped, time stopped and we were back roommates in Afghanistan again. So on the one hand, it's sad and the kids have to leave and say goodbye to all their friends. But on the other hand, you have friends all over the world for your entire life. And when you see them, it's almost like you pick up where you left off and and nothing has changed. And and so I think trying to help the kids understand that they're just, they're just building a, a larger friend network and they'll be able to travel and visit and and so I would say that has its pros and its cons altogether. And another would probably be um, the access to healthcare. So about a year ago, my son had a seizure, unexplained seizure on Halloween, and we were terrified. He was, gosh, two at the time, and um, taking him right into the military healthcare system. It felt as if they, you're, you're talking to family. They just took him right in. We were at Walter Reed. They were able to to hold our hand through the process, and I was just thinking, thank goodness we have this network that was able to take him. And we, we're still not quite sure what it is, but the follow-on care has been incredible. He's in one of the military child care centers at Fort Myer now, and they'll do a program for the kids to kind of a medical follow-up, check on him. Uh, the doctor even called later to check on, on his progress. So I would say having that 
that care has been excellent for the family. And they do something interesting in D.C. They allow you to take track care and join up with Johns Hopkins. So it's almost as if you're getting some private care, but it's connected to TRICARE. So we're really grateful for that. As you've seen, um, particularly um, your six-year-old start integrating with other um, kids, uh, pre-fives, first grade, whatever whatever it might be, are, is that part of the military system or, or is she um, in a public school? How, how have you chosen or how do you view choosing the educational path? That For us, it was it was an interesting story because remember we came during the pandemic and the public schools were closed and that wasn't an option for us. So she started at the base school and we had friends who were saying this is an excellent program and they wanted to start up a connection with a charter school in DC. So I thought about that as an option would be connect her through the base to a charter school that was open. Uh, But as she reached kindergarten, and I was getting a little bit busier. It was hard to drive that far. So we actually found a church school. She's in a little Lutheran school. It's very small. It's in a neighborhood. And they were open during the entire thing, too. And so we have chosen to keep her in the private school, but we keep my son at the base. Now, one of the things that's maybe a little bit different because you're in D.C. and there's so many military folk around, but in most of the country, there aren't many uh, parents, uh, moms in, in the military and, and kids who uh, have parents in the military. Has that sort of, uh, hey, my mom's a little different than your mom, uh, yet, yet sort of uh, bubbled to the surface? Um, I, I don't think it's the military thing. Perhaps maybe it's the pilot thing. And they're unimpressed. It's funny. <laughs> my, hus- my husband's a pilot. I'm a pilot. Uh, are very good friends. Both the husband and wife, Mark and Aaliyah, are pilots, so they don't know any different, and they couldn't care less. And you you want your kids to look up to you and want to do what you do, and I think they just assume everybody's mom flies. <laughs> so I, I think there will be a dose of reality when we end up, either I retire soon and move on to something else, or we move back to Colorado Springs and she starts meeting new people. I imagine the question will come, well, doesn't your mom fly? And I'll have to explain not everybody flies. Uh, that's a different thing. So it is you. Right, and I don't want her to pressure into it either. You know, I don't want her to end up hating flying because she doesn't want to do what mom and dad do. Well, it, you, you, you have started a bit of a, of a military family tradition uh, in your family. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, your brothers and and your husband, and uh, um, from there I'm going to ask you, to do, do you think your kids see this as a, and, and maybe they're just too young to see that this is a whole, this is something only 1% of the population does, but in your family it's more than that. Absolutely, and I have to go way back to my grandfather who flew B-24s, and I've said this on a, a different show, but it's worth repeating that I would sit on his lap and we'd look at airplane books and he'd flip through the pages and quiz me on what each airplane was. And I was so fascinated and enamored by grandpa. And then my dad is a a patriot and my stepfather is a Marine, was a Marine, always Marine. And so it's been around my family, but what's been, as you mentioned, even I would say just 
something so special to me is to watch my little brother. So now my very little brother, who's six foot two. Yeah, little my <laughs> butt. Yeah, little. <laughs> is a lieutenant in the Air Force. And there's a different feeling. Whereas I was, I used to look up to my grandfather and the military lineage. Now it's different. It's more passing it on and just being so proud of him. I remember him being a little baby and now here he is working on um, defense engineering and he's just so smart and finding his way. And it's just so special. And it's sort of, you know, your wife was a mentor to me and probably the reason why I'm, I'm here today. And I hope that I can be a mentor to him. Not that he needs me. I'm big sister, but it's time to kind of turn around and pass the tradition down the family. And then you look at my kids, and as you mentioned, they're so young. I don't think that they recognize it. They'll see me in a flight suit, but I don't think they're putting two and two together until this Thursday was Thursday was Bring Your Child to Work Day, and I brought my kids into the Pentagon. It was the first time that they had seen a that many military folks, and it's the first time they'd seen the Pentagon. But even more emotional to me was I was able to take my kids down to the 9-11 memorial. And it's in the fourth corridor of the Pentagon. And I walked them down to where the plane hit. And of course, I was a cadet in 2001. It has been 20 years. And I remember being a cadet and people pulling my classmates out to let them know that their parents hadn't made it out of the Pentagon. And here I am standing with my own children and they're starting to ask questions. So they've never asked about the military before. And here they're asking, well, what happened? How how did a what happened with the plane? How did someone get a plane? And I could see the wheels turning and it was heartbreaking. It was a loss of innocence. But at the same time, they weren't reading it in a book. They were standing on that sacred space. And my daughter reached down into her tiny little pink purse and pulled out some pennies and laid it down at the memorial. And my husband and I just couldn't keep the tears back. And they were asking us, why are you so sad? And you just can't explain it. But I I wonder, it's probably their first real experience with something in the military that she'll remember at age six. My three-year-old probably won't, but we did it as a family, and I I wonder now how that will impact her view of military service. But I certainly don't expect them to carry the torch or anything like that, just maybe feel inspired or grateful for this nation. Well, certainly it, it, it ripples back to you being on your grandfather's knee. I mean, he, he wasn't doing that uh, other than for his passion for it, and it obviously uh, seeped into your DNA and, and became something you became passionate about. And she may well reflect on this and say, I, I remember when, and Mom didn't even know what she was seeping this into my DNA, but it did. Uh, um, Again, as you kind of think about being a military mom and there's not, you know, it's a male-dominated uh, uh, military service, about 17% maybe now are, are uh, women, uh, even smaller numbers that uh, that are moms. You're, you're in a pretty exclusive club, uh, but there are challenges with being in such a small club, aren't there? I have so many responses to that over the years that have have changed but I have been incredibly lucky, grateful that I never felt different. I never felt like a female. I never even noticed the gender differences. But I'm also a victim advocate, um, which is someone who's a first responder for military assault. And I have sat with people who have definitely faced a much different challenge than I have. But I have been incredibly blessed 
the men around me have been my support system, my anchor, my confidant. I married one of them. <laughs> and I just feel like I had knights in shining armor type experience, but that's only because of the women who blazed the trail before me. And if they hadn't gone through what they did, I wouldn't have had the path available to me. And I would say the only thing that people care about, at least in my community of flying, is can you competently and safely fly your aircraft? And gender hasn't really played into that for me. And so I, I hope that now, a generation later, that's even more so. I hope that we just keep blazing the trail. But I do know that other people have different experiences. I just, I think I'm, I couldn't be more proud of of the other men around me. And it it is, as you get older, less, there's fewer and fewer women just because we're getting older and getting out and retiring. So it's, it's a handful of us, but there's still plenty. You, you've always uh, had a lot of community activity with children, um, with uh, those who are overcoming uh, challenges. I know in, in uh, Afghanistan, you had the opportunity to volunteer and work with local children in an army-run school for Afghan children. There's that's sort of the uniqueness about the military, right? You get that opportunity to do some things all around the world and with all kinds of different folks. Maybe it's mothering, maybe it's nurturing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it's been an interesting experience, I think, for you, hasn't it? It has, and it was something I didn't think I'd get to do. So I thought joining the military, it would cut me off from, for instance, in high school, I used to work with horses at this camp. And sometimes they'd have troubled teens come out and we'd, we'd use the horses in therapy with teens. And I saw these beautiful relationships where really tough kids who'd been through a lot would connect with an animal and it would bring healing. And I thought, oh, well, when I go into the military, of course, I have to give that up because I'm moving around the world and I'll be flying. Hopefully, I didn't know I'd fly back then, but I hope to. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Every base that I have been to, if you seek it and you find it and you ask questions and you build relationships, I have been able to find either a horse center or an equine therapy center at every base I have been at. And I've been able to start my own nonprofit that moves around from base to base. And I've also been able to find teaching opportunities, either with children or with college students during every single move. But they didn't they didn't pop up. I sort of had to keep looking for it. But I've been able to navigate flying and the teaching. And I wouldn't have had I don't think those opportunities. Why would I be in Northern California, for instance, a girl from Detroit, Michigan? But I end up out in California where they had a horse center, um, Colorado Springs. Uh, I've been teaching in Africa. I was able to go during grad school that the Air Force sent me to. And it's it's almost if you seek the opportunity, you can find it. But you certainly don't have to give up your passions. You just have to sort of find time management. <laughs> well, that yeah, that's one of the things as a military mom you've got to have, too, is good time management. Well, well we, we really appreciate the time that you've uh, provided to us today on Veterans Radio. Um, Michelle is an old family friend. I say old because I know her dad well. She knows my wife well. Um, and we're really so proud of the military career that you've had, but more importantly, we're proud of the, the mom you've become for your six-year-old and your three-year-old and having, having such an open heart. So th well, thank you. I was just seeking real quick to see um, my kids were down here. 
Can you guys just say hi real quick? Just say hi. Hi. <laughs> their voices. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Michelle, thank you. And uh, again, we appreciate your time on Veterans Radio. Thank you so much, Jim. We'll talk again soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, those interviews. Got a little reflection on what it's like to be a military mom. We certainly want to thank our VSO sponsors, Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettle's chapter, 310 in Ann Arbor, the VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in the American Legion, Irwin Prescon Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. We can't do what we do without them. Uh, we do enjoy bringing you these uh, conversations and having the chance to kind of give you something different to think about, different to look about. Um, you know, here's two women. Uh, they're serving their country. They're both hitting that 20-year mark, and they've been able to be great moms as well. So you're not giving up one thing to do something else. So this is uh, Ben Veterans Radio. I'm Jim Fossone. Next week, Dale Throneberry will be back. Uh, we're in our 20th year, approaching our 1,000th program. We're pretty excited about uh, both of those things. I encourage you to go to veteransradio.org or veteransradio.net to check us out. Go to our Facebook page to see what we've got going. We post something new every Tuesday on our, our, our podcast. Until next time, then, on Veterans Radio, you are dismissed. <laughs>